Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Colby. Well, good morning. Good to see you all today. We are just two weeks away from Christmas. Um, if you're in town uh, and able to join us for Christmas Eve, we'd love to have you join us for that service. Um, two weeks from Christmas. It's hard to believe and I'm sure for many, maybe especially those who are young or young at heart, the anticipation is just continuing to build, which is actually, as we've already alluded to throughout our service today, an appropriate disposition for this season, that building sense of anticipation. We, we are in the middle of the Advent season, the third Sunday of Advent, which for the church is a season of waiting through and through. We've been singing about this and praying prayers centered around this, but on one hand, we are remembering Israel's waiting for the coming Messiah. We are also, though, waiting for our celebration of the Messiah's arrival on Christmas Day. And then finally, we make ourselves aware again of the fact that we too are awaiting Christ's return. So there's a figurative waiting almost as we wait with Israel, awaiting with some immediacy to it, awaiting our celebration in just a couple of weeks, and then finally a deeper, a more fundamental sense of waiting, waiting for the second coming of Christ, a season of waiting through and through. The 20th century Swiss theologian and priest Hans Urs von Balthasar once said, our whole lifetime is Advent, bearing fruit in patience. Our whole lifetime is Advent as followers of Jesus. And that's the case precisely because as followers of Jesus, we cannot help but to be in a posture of waiting. So if the whole of our lives is Advent, I want to suggest, as von Balthasar suggested, that we must become a patient people, bearing fruit in patience. We must become a patient people, a people who recognize the present moment for what it is, sometimes unbelievably good, sometimes undoubtedly difficult, but always a gift from God. We recognize the present moment for what it is, but we also acknowledge, and Advent, I think, helps us remember this, we acknowledge that the present moment is not the end of the story. We cling to the hope that one day Christ will return and restore, renew all things. And it is Christ alone who will bring restoration. So even when it seems like we as the human race are progressing and we're making significant strides toward improvement in whatever area we're thinking about, you know, we might become convinced, well, well, maybe we can fix everything that has gone wrong in our lives and in this world. Inevitably, though, of course, something happens to bring us back down to earth and remind us, no, there is still so much that is not yet as it should be. Advent is this reminder for us that we are awaiting a savior from outside of our system to break in and restore. If that's the case, we must become a patient people. Which brings us to today's text. From a letter written by James, the brother of our Lord, chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, where we read, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So James now is transitioning in this letter, specifically addressing members of the believing community, those within the fold of God, and specifically those who are weak and poor. In this context, those who are suffering at the hands of the rich landowners who James has already addressed in this letter. And his instruction to those suffering under that heavy hand is this, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. There is, in fact, an end in sight at the coming of the Lord. You have suffered. Maybe you are continuing to suffer. You've been taken advantage of and abused, but keep hope alive because the present moment is not the end of the story eventually things will change. Just hold on. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. There is an acknowledgement from James here of the incredibly difficult realities these Christians are facing. And, and really, there's no assurance from him that the difficulty will end in the immediate future, which is why he calls them to patience. If it was going to end soon, patience would be unnecessary. But that farmer illustration helps drive this point home. In fact, it, it remains a possibility. Not only will things maybe not approve in the immediate future, but it remains a possibility that they will get worse before they get better. You know, at one point in, in Cormac McCarthy's novel, No Country for Old Men, Ed Bell, the, the character, he's a complicated sheriff of a small town in Texas, and at one point he says this, I wake up sometimes way in the night, and I know as certain as death that there ain't nothing short of the second coming of Christ that can slow this train. Very honest, realistic assessment of the predicament we find ourselves in as the human race. Not only will things maybe not improve in the immediate future, but they may actually get worse before they get better, nothing will slow this train except the com second coming of Christ. But as followers of Jesus, that's precisely our hope. Be patient until Christ returns. Again and again, our scriptures attest to the fact that the current arrangement does not last. There will be a great reversal. The first will be last. The last will be first. We can think of that story told in the Gospels of the rich man and Lazarus. A great reversal will take place, which makes those currently on top pause 
and keeps those at the bottom hopeful that suffering is not their lot forever. James again takes our, our minds to the farmer, and we'll return to this in a moment, but the farmer plants a seed and then waits day after day, looking for the plant to sprout, and then when the plant sprouts, waiting actually continues for that small plant to eventually produce a crop. James says, you too wait day after day. And he says, I know it's difficult, but you too be patient. And as you wait for your position to improve, he goes on, establish your hearts until the coming of the Lord. The wait is not just a waiting room where you're flipping through a magazine with nothing to be done. No, there is actually work to do in the middle of the wait. Remember that God alone is judge and God alone can be trusted as judge. So he says, don't let your hearts be overcome by hatred towards those who hurt you. Don't let the present difficulty bring out the worst in you. While you wait, establish your hearts. How many of you know this can be a great temptation? Have you ever lashed out at some, somebody simply because you were tired or hungry or stressed? Maybe it happened on the drive to church this morning. <laughs> I, I drive alone to church on Sunday morning, so I can avoid that on, on Sundays, not every day, though. It can be a great temptation to allow difficult circumstances to bring out the worst in us. So James says you, you probably need to be extra vigilant in establishing your heart when you are enduring difficulty. Don't grumble against one another. Keep your hearts pure. Stay focused on what is important. Patience in suffering. Patience in suffering. You may be tempted to envy the ease and success, the position of those who are on top, but he says don't fall into that trap because that envy is not helpful for your soul. Additionally, avoid going in the other direction of looking forward to, gleefully looking forward to their judgment, hoping with delight that they may just face a fraction of the pain you endured. Work to guard your heart, to maintain a spirit that desires restoration. He points us to Job. Remember Job, who faced unprecedented difficulty, whose questions about God's nature and about God's goodness seemed overwhelming, and Job, who at times felt completely abandoned by God. James says, learn from him. Learn from him. Be patient. Remain steadfast, and you too, in the end, will be blessed by God. The blessing of God may not look like you expect or what you want, but you will be blessed by God precisely because of the Christmas promise that God is walking beside you. He cares for you and loves you deeply. Don't let your present circumstances confuse you on that point. Remain patient. 
James repeats this invitation into a life of patience several times in the span of just a couple of verses. And I think part of the reason for that repetition is his understanding that patience is not our default response to having to wait. Whatever type of waiting we think of, maybe we would think of the simple, everyday waiting, waiting in line or waiting in traffic. Or maybe a much more devastating waiting, like what James's audience is facing, waiting in the face of great adversity. Or, or maybe our minds would go to that waiting that we all share, waiting for Christ to return and restore all things. Whatever we, we think of when we think of waiting, we tend to have a great difficulty waiting, at least waiting in patience. Instead, we often opt for alternative attitudes or dispositions. For instance, maybe instead of waiting in patience, we are tempted to instead grab the bull by the horns, engineer our own fix for whatever situation we happen to be facing. Maybe we choose instead to exact a vengeance of our own rather than waiting for God who is the perfect judge to do that on our behalf. I think of James's audience, and I think a part of his warning is to avoid that personal vengeance. But maybe it's also just thinking about engineering our own fix. Well, I can, I can figure out how to make this situation much better, if not provide a solution altogether. But I think Advent reminds us that while we can work to bring some improvement to our situation, we are ultimately waiting for Jesus to rectify everything that has gone wrong. I think of the advice offered from the late American author David Foster Wallace, who said, almost nothing important that ever happens to you happens because you engineer it. I think that's been, been true in my life. And yes, we can act, and, and I would argue should act, and use wisdom to work for improvement in a variety of situations, but we always come back to the reality that everything that is broken in our lives and in this world, yes, it can improve to varying degrees in the here and now, but it won't be rectified until the return of Jesus. And so we don't want to be overconfident. Even as we act to improve situations, we don't want to be overconfident in our ability to solve all of the world's problems. We also don't want to allow the difficulty we face to move us to a place of silent resentment and anger. I would suggest that neither of those reflect what we are invited to as followers of Jesus, what we are invited to embody, and that is the patience of Jesus, who is the prime example we follow. James has taken our attention to the prophets. He's taken our attention to Job. The prime example, though, that I think we look to as we seek to develop patient trust is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. The one who was no stranger to suffering at the hands of the evil, and yet he patiently endured and kept hope. Even when the darkness he faced obscured the sense of his father's presence. This is who our Lord is. 
acquainted with suffering, patient in the midst of difficulty, willing to bear wounds. There was a proverbial saying among the desert fathers that went like this, only the devil disguising himself as Christ has no wounds, being too vain to bear them. We remember that this is who our God is, one who is acquainted with suffering. And as such is compassionate and merciful, as James insists in this passage, he will be with you even as you suffer. He walks with you even when you stumble. His presence does not leave as you wait. So be patient. Be patient. James says, see how the farmer waits the precious fruit of the earth, being patient until it receives the early and the late rains. There's something about a task like gardening, and I don't know, I don't garden, but I can imagine. There's something about a task like gardening or even planting a tree that that sort of beats the rush out of you. You can't force that process to move quicker. You can busy yourself with a variety of tasks during the wait, but in many ways, you're sort of along for the ride. That There's also something about planting that makes you appreciate and even yearn for conditions that many curse, like the arrival of rain. That's why we have that children's rhyme, right? Rain, rain, go away. That's why we talk about stocking away some cash for a rainy day. The arrival of rain prevents a lot of outdoor activities. It is cursed by many, except for the farmer during a drought. And it is welcomed with open arms, something that is on the surface unpleasant. Poet and essayist Lucy Shaw poignantly observed, planting seeds inevitably changes my feelings about rain. You know, hoping in God's future helps us reframe the present moment. Helps us remember that the present moment is not the end, but more than that, the present moment is accomplishing something in me. So be patient during the wait. Even if the wait is filled with heartache and pain, Be patient, because there's something that is being accomplished in you through it all. Your soul is being developed. Be patient as you wait. So how do we do that? That's the age-old question. How do we remain patient in the midst of difficulty? I think if we continue reading, we find that in a roundabout way, James suggests a big part is nurturing a life of prayer. It may seem disconnected to what James has been talking about, but I think prayer will offer us perspective in the midst of difficulty. It will instill a sense of hope in the present moment that this is not the end of the story, and it will be a catalyst that changes us as we wait. So we continue reading in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has a great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. We've explored this section from James in detail in the past. You can probably actually find that in our sermon archive on our website. We, we don't have time today for a detailed breakdown of this. So for now, we're focusing again on the larger context of James's invitation into a life of patience. And I think one of the things that we might learn is that prayer is an exercise in patient trust. Yes, we pray for those who suffer and are sick, and we believe that God is powerful and able to bring healing in any way imaginable, healing to all areas of brokenness in our lives. And so we pray. We petition God to raise up those who are sick and downcast, and we have examples throughout our scriptures and in our lives of healing that God has brought to broken situations. We also have instances in our scriptures and in our lives where prayers are not answered in the way or time frame we requested or would have preferred. But I want to suggest today that that does not mean that prayer was ineffective. Because prayer is, in part, an exercise by which we are continually developing a patient trust in our God. Ronnie Martin, who pastors a church in Ohio and coincidentally was the mastermind behind the 90s monosynth rock sensation Joy Electric. Anybody? No, I'm alone. Okay. He said, it's not that God moves too slow. It's that we move too fast, and fast is rarely a friend to godliness. I think prayer is a really helpful exercise in slowing us down, reminding us that it is not God that is slow. It's not that God is behind schedule, but God is patient. And maybe a part of our issue is that we are constantly moving too fast and expecting things too quickly. We get ahead of God. Perhaps the development of patient trust is one of our most pressing needs. Maybe you remember that section from 2 Peter chapter 3 where we read, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
The Lord is patient with you, longing for you to come to repentance. And if that's how our Lord is, this is how we should live as well. So we not only patiently wait and patiently trust in the midst of adversity, but we also seek to grow in our patience with others in our lives. This this is how the text in James 5 concludes. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I wonder if it is patience, not only patience in the midst of adversity, but patience with those in our lives that welcomes and beckons folks back to the beauty of Christ. A young poet named Paul Pastor said, what a great kindness people do when they allow you to not be perfect. I don't know about you, I have certainly experienced that kindness in a variety of ways. And I think we all have, whether we realize it or not, and what a gift when we do. And what a gift we can offer to others, our patience. The church father Tertullian said, it is patience that attracts the heathen. There's something about a patient life that draws people to the beauty of Christ. A life of Christian faith is a patient life, one that is able to joyfully hope and wait for the salvation of our God, also one that is able to bear with a brother and sister. Maybe it is our patient living that will not only enable that sort of lasting, steadfast hope and trust in God, but will also attract, beckon those who are wandering back to the fold of God. May we become a a people who are patient even as we wait. Lord Jesus, we ask you today, that you would strengthen us to remain faithful. Strengthen us to keep hope, to be patient when the circumstances of life cause us to despair. We hope in you. Increase our patience. Increase our trust. We are going to move to a time of celebration around the table of our Lord. Again, as the prime example of a life of patient trust, we look to Jesus of Nazareth. We feast around this meal, finding hope, finding strength. For whatever we face in this moment, we invite you to celebrate with us. I'll invite you to stand. And Stephanie, would you mind joining me as we serve communion? We're going to make two lines down these center aisles. You'll come to the front. When you get to the front, somebody will speak over you the words, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. You can take those elements on your own, return to your seat, and then we will sing a song together. By way of invitation, I want to say a prayer for us. O Lord Jesus Christ, you sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. 
Grant that the ministers and stewards of your mysteries may likewise make ready your way by turning the hearts of the disobedient toward the wisdom of the just, that at your second coming to judge the world, we may be found a people acceptable in your sight. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Would you join us at the table of our Lord today?